0: Welcome back to Sustainability Mindshift, where we are exploring what it takes to be a sustainability leader today, including the skills and the capabilities and the mindsets, which are critical for success. We are your hosts, Brad Pierce and Melker Larson. Great to have Melker back on the show. And we are very fortunate to have Yarun Jans here with us today. Hello, Yarun.
1: Uh, hi, uh, Brad. Uh, pleasure to be here.
0: Thanks for coming. Let me just tell the listeners a little bit about you, and then we'll jump right in. Um, You're a facilitator, resilience coach, mindfulness trainer, and a keynote speaker, and he's based in Brussels, Belgium, although he's originally from the Netherlands. He is the founder and co-director of the Inner Green Deal, a not-for-profit initiative cultivating sustainable and compassionate leadership for a greener and fairer society. It's very exciting. We'll be talking about that today. Jeroen works with leaders and companies and international organizations such as the European Commission and the European Parliament to facilitate systemic change. So those are some very, you know, big people, high high power positions that he's working with on some complex issues like behavior change. He He and his colleagues also develop training programs and tools that address the human dimensions of climate leadership and action that can be used by organizations and facilitators around the world to scale impact. He is passionate about his call to the community of facilitators, mindfulness teachers, and coaches to use their skills and understanding of how humans function to facilitate a shift in mindset and more compassionate way of living and working. So all that aligns very nicely with uh, what we're doing here on Sustainability Mindship, and we're super happy to have you here, Yaron. Pleasure. I wanted to start um, because, you know, you just got back from COP26, uh, Conference of Parties 26, for those of you that don't know that, uh, with the UN, big meeting, with a lot of expectations for the meeting by all of us on some serious commitments for change and to help us uh, remain under the 1.5 degrees Celsius. And I think the overall mood after the two weeks um, that I've seen so far in the reports were that it was pretty much disappointment overall um, by most people. Although I did see that there was, um, I think the overall reactions were, were somewhat binary other than the, the sort of overall mood of disappointment. So on the one side, I saw that people were using language of hope and optimism that business leaders had actually started to talk a little bit more seriously about the climate change issues and other issues. Um, and that there were some big deals that, that happened including uh, lots and lots and lots of money uh, flowing toward net zero commitments development of a, a global ESG standards board. Uh, there was commitments from the aviation and, and shipping industry. So there were some things that happened. But on the other side, um, and, I, and I, I actually was on this side of the fence, there was a great deal of, of, of anger and despair and, and even fear about the outcomes um, because people were calling on leaders to, to put their words into action, and it didn't seem like there was enough action and commitment happening um by this what was called the uh the business cop actually by some people but i did see one more thing i wanted to note i did see which this is what gives me hope is threaded throughout the conversations and the dialogue that was happening it's the first time that i've seen that systems change was at the forefront of the conversations not only from hearing it from the leaders but also from the activists and the first time ever i started to hear people talking about the need for Shifting mindsets and behaviors, which is what we're talking about here, that's starting to enter the dialogue, which is great, not just from the consumers. You know, like telling us consumers to to purchase green products and drive our cars less and such, but but actually from the organizational leadership, business, government, society level. So um, with that, I'd love to hear your take on it, you know, you were there. Tell me about how you felt, what you observed.
1: Yeah, Brett, uh, thank you. I I would agree that it's uh, it's a mixed picture and. um... I think what we need to you know how we can look at an event like this a conference is to see it a little bit as a process so to expect everything to happen at that event is just not very realistic, I think. Um, but I think um, what we have been observing is that uh, there has been quite a lot of progress still um, you know, also, if you take a step back, you know, two years ago and it's not so long ago right 30% of the world that committed to net zero objectives. Right, And now, since last week, India joined as well, and we are now at 90%. So, you know, that's progress. And, you know, and then we can look at lots of other very specific pledges around methane and, you know, deforestation. And yes, you know, is it enough? No, it's not enough, Uh, but it's progress. And, um, but I guess if we, if we take a step back, is it enough? Can we do better? Yes, we can do better. Right. And then if we then now look at, you know, the, the things that you and I I've been talking about for a while about, um, you know, mindset and how we can respond, perhaps more effectively. I, I do see room for lots of improvement. You know, I think that as a community of sustainability leaders, company leaders, politicians, also voters, right? And activists. I think we are not exactly living the best version of ourselves. No, mm-hmm. you I know and I'll let that sink in a bit. Uh, I think we can do much better. And, and we know it somehow, but often we are just so busy, um, so distracted as well, so stressed, and, and sometimes a little bit cynical. And, and, you know, and then you have to ask yourself, well, why is that, right? Um, no, and I think, you know, we, we sometimes just get really caught up in doing. And, um, you know, so in, in being visible and being in social media. And in that, you know, in that process of being so busy, kind of got disconnected from our true selves, but also from others um, and from nature, obviously, and treating nature as if it was a limitless resource. And I feel somehow this is related that too many of us lost the belief in the ability in our ability to change. And also by extension, lost a little bit the belief that we as humans can address this and can really handle this. And, you know, that's, that's quite unhelpful and self-defeating. And also I'd like to add, it's unscientific, you know, mm. we adjust all the time. We change all the time. We are living creatures and, um, I think we can do much more. And what's interesting, I, you know, maybe just to, I'll pause for a moment, but if we look at COVID for instance, it's a good metaphor and a good step change in a way, you know, uh, because of COVID. It's not so much only that we're driving less and flying less and emitting less CO2, I think also what's been different because of COVID that we're slowing down right. And we start kind of to see the cracks in our existence and and the way we live. And we also see and start to see how connected we all are and how interconnected everything we do is and how what you do impacts me and, and vice versa, so you know. And then, you know, to, to to look also at the bright side, we can also see that it is possible to address global challenges. It's possible we can come up with solutions. And, you know, apart from big structural solution, we've seen also countless examples of solidarity and collaboration. And as long as we connect and we don't drown ourselves in social media, of course. So, you know, it's a mixed picture, but but I also see lots of bright sides, So that makes sense.
2: Mm. This is really interesting. and. You said something along the lines of uh, that we're not living the best versions of ourselves and i'm really interested to hear uh, about you're obviously working with uh, improving ourselves as human with the inner green deal and uh, i see more and more of this happening in the sustainability field and the bubbles that i am part of people talking about the inner dimensions of the outer change needed mm. um but how did you perceive the talk about These uh, inner dimensions of uh, the humanity uh, of sustainability. How is the talk going at the conference like COP26?
1: Well, you know, again, it's mixed. Uh, It was interesting. I'm I'm collaborating with the UN, and um, I know that um, uh, from Plum Village, there were a number of monks uh, at COP26. And it's very interesting. Um, We've been exchanging about this. You know, they said the pace. It's just so different, you know. When they came on stage, they walked very slowly, mm. and they were asked with a, a slight sense of bewilderment what they observed. And you know, they said, "People are walking so fast; mm. they're not really there. You know, they're not really present." You know, and you think, "Say, yeah, you know, that's an innocent remark or so," but actually, it's pretty fundamental because if we are negotiating and we're trying to connect and you know, trying to work towards a collective outcome, then we cannot not be present, you see what I mean, you know. Uh, we cannot not be compassionate um, we have to see how what we do matters and how we impact others and um, you know so, so I think all of these things are connected and I think more and more people see this and. Um, also in the places that I work, such as the European Commission.
0: It's interesting. I, I love the, the example you use of the monks and I can, I can, I can feel it the way, the way that you talk your too, to is, is, um, has a nice pace to it. And I've, I've been lucky enough to be a part of one of your, <clears throat> excuse me, your sessions where you, uh, led us through a mindfulness exercise. Um, and it's interesting, it strikes me because my fear today is that we, we are running out of time. And that's a, that's a, a, a you know, I think it's a shared by lots of people, that feeling. Um, prep against, you know, tipping points, as they say, science says there's tipping points. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this, this paradox of, of needing to speed up and yet slow down is really interesting you know speak to us a little bit about that. I think in, in order to speed up, you need to slow down slow down first in order to speed up or project for direction. How does that work?
1: Yeah, exactly. I mean, um, you know if, um, if we are stressed, you can see this where we often enter kind of this tunnel vision right. Um, we find it difficult to take on new challenges. we don't see enough options. Um, all we are turning towards is trying to get through this and protect ourselves in a way it's a very natural it's a it's a threat reaction right the threat response Uh, it's driven by fear we shut down and that is just not showing um, the best side of ourselves you know so i think we need to learn as leaders to be more resilient Um, and one of the things to do that is simply to notice to slow down and to notice what is going on. You know? um, where are you spending your time? How present are you when you are with people? What is it that you're doing that is essential and making a difference now? You know? And, you know, when we talk to leaders um, and we do these programs, they're often quite surprised that we take quite a bit of time to literally <laughs> go through a day with them. Like, how do you spend a day? Where is there space for you to think, you know, and to reflect whether you're doing the right thing. And if you look at the schedules, it's literally back to back meetings. And they're surprised that they are not sufficiently switching off in the evening. And they're surprised that they're not sleeping well and recovering well. And, you know, initially they think, oh yeah, that's a guy, you know, leadership development, you know, some softer things. I heard you meditate even, you know, and then we say, yeah, that's fine. But why don't you wear an HRV device, you know, where it can really measure the physical response as you go through the day, you know? And they say, yeah, sure. I'll do that, you know, wear it for five days. And then we just see that people are in an activated, so a sympathetic activation of their nervous system throughout the day, back to back meetings, normal, but then also in the evening, you know, uh, once the meetings have stopped, and then what's even more fr- frightening is that these leaders that are taking crucial decisions, even when they get their four, five, six hours of sleep, and at COP it was less, I can tell you, um, they do not recover during their sleep sufficiently, so the quality of their thinking, the quality of their decisions is just, you know, suboptimal, to say the least. See what I mean? So that's what yeah, we I need guess, to work on.
0: It, I think we expect ourselves to be machines these days, right? I think that's mm. the expectation we set for ourselves and for others. And that's, that's been clear from other examples I've seen of how society is moving in that direction of, of the mechanistic society and stuff we've talked about on this, on this on this show already with others. Um, It's hard to be human. It's hard to it's, you know, I think in some people's mind, it must feel a bit regressive, (laughs) you know, to um, be able to turn off the machine and actually experience being human again, Um, or at least in your mind, it's regressive. But of course, when you experience it, I think through um, being activated by mindfulness exercises like that you offer um, participants and leaders. Um, it must, yeah, it I must think. feel quite refreshing once you actually experience it and, and, and feel human again. Mm.
1: Mm. Yeah, no, absolutely. If you if you I mean, it's, it's often, you know, if you ask me, are people within you know, these big organizations skeptical of practices, such as meditation? Yes, you know, some of them are skeptical, but many not. But I have not met someone that doesn't acknowledge that changing mindsets means working with the mind, you know, I think they can follow that logic. And then, you know, there, you know, there are a variety of reasons why people are actually very open to this. And and first, they see the need, right, that they need to engage people, they need to lead people to bring people on this journey and all of that. And they understand that it's actually very hard to do that. You know? It's easy to, to expect that from leaders, It's difficult for people to show up, make that speech, or say the right things in the right moment. Not, not easy, they know that. So, um, And then secondly, once they actually slow down a little bit and, and work with the mind you know, to give it more space and uh, to practice very simple things, to be out in nature and to, to have proper dialogues, they can see that a whole different <laughs> way of being is possible. You know, that their quality of thinking increases drastically that the quality of connections is much more strong and much more lived and that they can actually really engage people you know and and people say you know people came up to me and say well, what happened you know uh and and you know so so people i think are open to it and also fundamentally are find it very liberating you know to finally open up often among peers in a safe way and let their guard down you know and just be for once, a human being without, you know, having to pretend that you got this, you know, that you can handle this or that you have something smart to say immediately. So I think that's, that's very, it's beautiful to see that actually happening.
2: Mm, I love that you bring this up, the the vulnerability aspects of this as well. It's uh, Mm. something that I actually straight after this call, we go into exploring um, a partnership where we have a workshop series we call it's all personal uh yeah. going into like especially when you're a leader or person who wants to work with these big um challenges that encompass all humans it's uh, it's easily overwhelming to say the least and uh, yeah. then to have your own practices your own sovereignty to be able to slow down and find the pace that is personally sustainable for you is i believe very important um and I also think it's um, something very interesting about seeing as well that you're not alone in these struggles or seeing uh, that you are part of a bigger whole. Because I think as soon as you think, I am going to solve the climate challenge, then mm. you're out of your depth. But yeah. if you can think of yourself as part, and I love this, I just found this uh, Fritz of Caprich quote that reads, the essential properties of an organism or a living system are properties of the whole which none of the parts have. They arise from the relationships and interactions between the parts. Mm. And what this speaks to me is, and also connecting into what you have been working with, is uh, this collective intelligence and seeing ourselves as part of bigger uh, teams. And I know that you these mindfulness projects uh, and trainings that you work with uh, are also doing this in form of teams. Can you talk a little bit about how what happens in a team when each individual within the team are practicing these aspects?
1: Yeah, it's very beautiful. It's, um, you know, I think if you, again, from science, if you study why, or what makes a team work well, um, we increasingly have a a, a good idea of that. And it's not, you know, necessarily putting together star people, you know, that, that are going to create a great team outcome. And this is well known. It's actually much more about how you work and how you collaborate and it's you know, as you say Melker, it's it's these things like creating trust and. Um, being vulnerable creating and particularly um, psychological safety in a group yeah so, and you know and you, you have to understand how that works, or you know some processes around it, but essentially what you want to do with a group is make it safe to speak up, you know, make it safe to for everyone to share. And, um, you know, you as a leader have to kind of initiate that. And uh, you have to talk about um, your own challenges. And I think that helps. And, you know, so there, there m- are lots of things. And it's not a, you know, it's not a one afternoon and it's all sorted. You know, this is a process again, that, uh, that I think everyone can work on. But also, it's something that shouldn't be afraid of to engage on because it's something that is relatively well understood by social sciences right now
0: so you started to talk about some of the components uh, i think of what an inner green deal is and um you know i know maybe the listeners have been curious about that from the beginning and we're here that we're 20 minutes into it but i'd love to you for you to just um, tell the listeners what, what exactly that means, the inner Green Deal. It sounds fascinating.
1: Yeah, so, you know, the inner Green Deal is, is in, on, on a basic level, a response to the European Green Deal and, and other large scale initiatives to, to transform our society. And, you know, and when you look at these types of massive initiatives, it's, uh, it's clear that there, there, there is um, most of the focus goes towards the, ex- the, you know, the external factors like infrastructure, investing in technology, you know, um, land uses and all of that. And uh, that's important and that needs to be done. But what we kind of observe that it's not enough, right? We're not seeing enough change. People are not changing their behavior and that we need to therefore work on these inner dimensions and, and in particular, the root causes of the climate crisis, which is how we look at nature right it's something that we can use and extract and just you know something that we're superior to that's not going to help us and it's also not going to help us if we continue to think of long-term targets and and we miss out on the perspective the the bigger picture so so i think that was kind of our, our our perception that something was missing and that um led us then to think well you know we as facilitators as leadership developers people a bit of an understanding of how the mind works and how People work and what motivates people, perhaps we can play a role in that process. And, you know, and then we just mixed the two together. We brought in the inner dimension. And, um, you know, and I immediately want to add that we're not the only one. So it's interesting how these things now seem to pop up. Uh, You know, we work with friends in Sweden, developing the inner development goals to sustainability goals. I know they're behind you. Uh, They have come up in your show before as well. and lots of you know other initiatives. I know you're working on this too, Brett uh, and Melker. So, so I think it's very gratifying, and um, it's it's time that we address this this inner part.
0: Yeah, I have this up uh, as a in honor of COP twenty six for this 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 cohort. Um, and uh, interestingly, yeah, you you know the the stuff that we're exploring here. Uh, I wanted to mention to listeners too that you have your own podcast, The Inner Green Deal. Um, where it's beautiful to see more and more people having these conversations and exploring um, what's necessary and what's needed. You know, what are the big questions that we all have that, that we're grappling with? Um, you know, and there's so many of them, right? So the more people that we can get involved, part of our, our mission, uh, Melker and mine in this, is to just raise the dialogue, you know, and p- be a part of the wave of, of consciousness and awareness to what's going on because we don't have the answers. There's a lot of questions still, and and uh, the answers lie in people like you and others out there. So to have these conversations, these dialogues, it's great to partner with uh, with folks like you as well. And and, um, and I've seen, and Melker has a couple of other podcasts. One reason why we started working together so he could help me on the the mechanical side of this as as the executive producer. And I see, you know, there's some cross pollination of speakers too, in some of his podcasts and ours and such. And so, yeah, it's good to. Good to get different perspectives. Um, how, how can people, you know, access the the Inner Green Deal? Um, through is it is it through your uh, direct direct website or? Um...
1: Yeah, so um, we are uh, a not-for-profit initiative, um, mm-hmm. but we are growing out of uh, a company, a training company, a learning development company called Avars. Uh, it's mm-hmm. where we started working, and um, so we can find us there um, and. Um, also look up if you just type in the inner green deal in a green deal podcast uh, it comes up and um yeah so there is uh yeah there are lots of resources out there that helps
2: Mm. i also wanted to ask you about uh because we are obviously a bit different in generations in here and then on cop 26 there's a a massive predominance of uh, a certain generation of leaders and leaders of um, today are uh also perhaps forgotten that many of them are also parents to mm. to a younger generation i think that's a, a really interesting aspect because usually in sustainability we talk about future generation and uh, to take in consideration our children and our children's children uh, and i know you've been uh, touching a little bit upon this of uh, working with board members uh, like how Is the aspect of parenthood affecting leaders of today, do you think?
1: I, you know, I, I do think it really helps, um, you know, as leaders, if we're just running around, um, disconnected somehow from our true lives, you know, we don't see our children maybe enough. Um, you know, the work gets done in the household. We're not, not aware of that. We don't even aware of cleaning products we use, Yeah, I think children are fascinating creatures. Now, three of them that at home, that really ground us, right? They ask brutal questions, they are completely unimpressed with the work we're doing, and um, demand attention, and honesty. And I I think that's beautiful about them. And I, you know, and I, when you talk to leaders, um and you talk to anyone a parent ask them about their children is a wonderful way to connect with the life that comes after you know not just the, the busy now but also what is to come and think about the next generation and have, frankly also beyond our children you know the children on the other side of the world but also the children children and the seventh generation as indigenous leaders like to think so yeah so we are excited to explore initiative um to actually film and interview children of leaders and in private viewings give this back to them as a as a small gift you know not to share this on social media just for them you know almost say i'm going to show you this once and then we will destruct it you know um know we'll see about that but I think it's a very interesting phenomenon that somehow, because the way we're wired, we somehow seem to have a little bit more empathy for those that are closest to us. And that that's an interesting fact of life. Mm. Um, I think it's something we all can work on. But if this is something that helps leaders ground themselves, see reality and think about the future, then we are keen to, to facilitate that.
0: I think you're onto something, you know, I've, I've, uh, I've heard some powerful stories from people, including I was just listening to a podcast uh, with John Doerr um, who talked about his daughter. I think it was his daughter. I don't think it was a grandchild, but who was sitting around the table at dinner and she looked him square in the eyes and said, dad, this is your, this is your problem. It's our future problem. but It's your problem. You, you have the power to make decisions right now. What are you going to do about it? Yeah. and that that really struck a chord with him and that's actually what moved him away from some of the you know sort of more technical you know um sides of, of silicon valley into looking at climate change um and really exploring it deeply and research and spending a lot of money there and investing in companies um similarly i think i heard a story from maybe even it was ray anderson who started interface or someone else who was touched by their child um so i think that's you're onto something that's a powerful way to uh pull at the heartstrings of some of these leaders. I, I love it. I, I, I love I can't wait to see this unfold. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, it's been great. Um, you know, we're, we're at the half hour. I hate that these things are so short, but that's uh, yeah. what I've, we've decided to do for our for our listeners. Um, keep it within a half hour. Um, and you've been you've been great, a wonderful guest, very inspirational. Um, we look forward to, to seeing how the inner green deal continues to develop and looking for ways that we can partner together to get the word out. Um, and thank you for, for being you.
1: <laughs> thank you, Brad. Thank you, Malker. It's an honor and uh, a real privilege to, uh, to be here today. Thank you. Appreciate it.
2: Thank you so much, Jim. See you soon.